If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to create a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your cell phone, desktop, computer, or laptop. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So let's get started with the Dr. Yolanda Jerry Show. Yolanda Jerry show. I am your host Yolanda and I am excited about the guest that I'm going to be having on tonight. This is the last week of Domestic Violence Awareness Month and I'm excited about the lady that we're going to have tonight because not only is she a dear friend of mine but she is also someone who is helping victims and survivors of domestic violence abuse in this world today in her business. So without further ado, I'm just going to ask you to please share this broadcast, share it with a friend, tell somebody because we want to make sure that someone gets exactly what they need tonight. We want to make sure that they get what they need tonight. And when I do return, I will be sharing a couple of statistics with you before I do bring on our guests. So we'll be right back. Welcome to the Dr. Yolanda Jerry Show, where you will hear stories from people who have experienced hell on earth and have walked past hell to share their stories. You will also hear what they are doing now and how their businesses, nonprofits, and ministries were birthed from their past trauma. So let's empower the world one story at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Yolanda Jerry. We are back. We are back. Happy Thursday. I'm glad you all could join us on today. So before I bring in my amazing, phenomenal guest for today, I want to share some statistics with you that pertains to domestic violence awareness. So 
one in three women experience domestic violence abuse and one in four men experience domestic violence abuse you also have 15.5 million children who are exposed to domestic violence abuse every year in the united states and lastly you have 40 percent of women and 32 percent of men in mississippi will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Again, those numbers are pretty high. So just imagine how high the number would be for the people who did not report. So we wanna talk about that a little bit tonight. And right now, I am so excited to tell you about this young lady by the name of Miss Ashira Fleming Windsor, MSW LCSW. She is a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana where she was educated in the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, where she graduated from Estruma High School. Overcoming the odds and many life challenges, Ashira went on to pursue her dream as a social worker, where she graduated from Norfolk State University, Norfolk, Virginia, obtaining her Bachelor of Social Work and the University of Southern California, where she obtained her Master of Social Work. Ashira is licensed clinical social worker in the states of Mississippi and also California with 11 years of her experience. She is the founder of Catalyst Counseling and Therapy Services, co-founder of Bridging the Gap Transitional Age Youth Program, and is also the co-author of My Walk Past Hell Anthology, which was a number one bestseller. And she is also a Navy CB spouse, a mother of five, who in her spare time loves curling up to an enjoyable book, spending time with her family, cooking, which I know she loves to cook, helping others and traveling. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on our guest for tonight, Miss Ashira Fleming. Hi everyone. Hello Ashira, how are you? I am doing good. <laughs> how about yourself? All is well, all is well of the land of the living. <laughs> so I'm excited about having you as my special guest. Not only are you a good, dear friend of mine, also a partner of mine with, with Bridging, the, Bridging the Gap Transitional Age Youth Program. And also, as we mentioned, you are the founder and CEO of Catalyst Counseling and Therapy Services. But tonight we're going to talk about, since we're getting ready to close out Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I know you have been a guest uh, on my show before, and also have been a, 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 a author um, in the My Walk Past Hell anthology. Um, I want you to share a little bit about who you are, a little bit more in detail by sharing a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up at, and then tell us about what is that hell story that you had to endure, you know, back then. Well, I think you guys heard a lot about me in uh, my bio that was written by my cousin, Sean. <laughs> uh, she's going to be surprised that I used it. But um, I did grow up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so I'm a Southern girl at heart, uh, though I have lived away from Baton Rouge. Well, yeah, for about 18 years. I know I'm back in the Deep South, but I am on the Gulf Coast. Um I grew up in a single parent home from the age of seven, uh, which thrust uh, me and my siblings uh, into an area, I guess, uh, of life where uh, I didn't think that we would be, but we had to learn to adapt to our environment. Uh, being a part of that environment, though, it caused us to experience probably many things we wouldn't have had we been in a um 
in the home with a mother and a father. Uh, but I always say to people that I would never change anything about my past. I own it 100%, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I would not be sitting in front of you today if it was not for all of the things that challenged me in life, all of the things that I had to overcome and all of the things that I had to heal from. Wow. Well, look, we know you're from Louisiana. And so being from Louisiana, do you think it was uh, tough being raised in Louisiana and then being raised with in a single household? It was tough being raised in Louisiana in many aspects. So I will say to you, um, to me, there are many systemic issues there as it pertained to race and gender. But there are many things that I loved about growing up in the South. I mean, the cuisine for for one thing, uh, the hospitality. So there's not, not been a part of me that has never wanted to claim my roots and where I came from. As a matter of fact, I think my husband married me because I was from Louisiana, right? Gumbo, red beans, uh, shrimp creole, crawfish etouffee. So, um, but there were things that, were instrumental and key in Louisiana to making me the person that I am. I feel like uh, when I needed to utilize systems that were in place to help me with things that I was struggling with, they they were uh, not prevalent. And then when I would get with someone, they were not empathetic to my uh, to my issues, whether it was calling law enforcement for domestic violence issues or because a baby had been taken without my permission. Uh, there was just never the um, never the support that I needed. I don't talk to a lot of people about this, but I'm okay sharing this because I have talked about it before. Um, at 15 years old, I was raped by a stranger, someone I didn't know. Um, after I was found and taken to the hospital to have my rape kid, and um, I was then taken to the police station where I was. Um, interrogated because that is exactly what it was. I felt interrogated about what happened to me. I was asked by law enforcement many times, like, are you sure you didn't know the person? Are you sure things that didn't just go too far? Are you sure? And so I was already a victim, but in that moment, um, I, it made me feel like I was more of a victim. They even lie detected me attested me at the age of 15 to make sure that I was not lying um, to them about what happened to me. And so it is things like this that actually has pushed me to being a social worker today. Every time I felt like I needed help, I feel like the systems in Louisiana, they failed me uh, based on patriarchy, based on me being a female. Um, so that's, that's why I'm here today. I do this job based on um, all of the things that I feel like people didn't help me with and all of the things I feel like I struggle with, all of the mistakes that I made in life. Wow. Wow. So it has, it, you know, being raised in Louisiana has its, it has its good things, of course, but then it also has its not so good things, but all of it has molded, to, molded you into who you are today. Ashira, I want to ask you a question about, tell us about that time in your life where, you felt like you were really down to rock bottom. So the time in my life where I felt like I was really down to rock bottom and I would ask myself every day, I had no idea how I got here. 
I felt really hopeless. I really got to a point where I reserved myself to saying, okay, this is what my life is going to be. I might as well get used to it. Uh, it was when, God, is so many instances, but I'm just going to stick with this one. So um, I was pregnant with a son for my abuser. Uh, I was abused the entirety of the nine months that I was pregnant with my son, resulting in the loss of my son. Um, I would then uh, a few months later be uh, pregnant again. Um, and so for that nine months of the pregnancy, he didn't touch me because I felt like I knew he knew he contributed to the death of um, of our son. But I um, I had my daughter. I went to the hospital. I had a cesarean section. They let me come home, but I ended back up in the hospital because I had some type of infection. I was there about a week when they let me out and I went home. I was there with my daughter and I don't remember what started this incident, but um, it resulted in him dragging me down a flight of stairs. Now, I just gotten out of the hospital with the cesarean section. Um, he drug me down a flight of stairs with a nightgown on, uh, threw me outside, locked me outside in the middle of the night and he kept my daughter in there and so for me that was the changing point that was where i said no more i hadn't been talking to my family um much about what was going on because i didn't want them involved i wanted to make sure that i knew that i was ready to be gone before i involved them and so probably um probably about two weeks later he left and while he left, I moved out. Now, I was not done with him because he would not let me be done with him. Um, I started going to school, which is the uh, the first place in my life where I feel like I had started to empower myself again. I started going to school. While I was at school, I had a friend who was killed based on um an ex-lover killing her. She she didn't want to be in a relationship with him anymore. That same week, my, uh, my daughter's father, he stumped the fingers on my right hand. And so the school decided to call um, a seminar for everybody at our school. They um, talked about domestic violence uh, with the entire school. And in that moment, I called my daughter's father. I was like, that's it. I'm done. My children aren't going to grow up to think that it is okay for a man to treat them the way that you treat me. And I had two daughters. I was like, that's it. I'm done. And so probably two years passed and I was okay. I, I, I finished school. I got my first like real job working for uh, the LSU Ag Center. Um, kind of moved on with life. I didn't date anybody for about two years. Probably at about the two-year mark, I thought that I was ready to date again. I started dating. Um, this guy was very nice to me. Um, I never invited him to my home, and we've been dating probably for about four months. He'd take me out to dinner. He'd take me to the movie. So this night, he took me out to dinner, and I said, you know what? I said, you've never been to my house. Maybe, maybe you can come in, and we can watch a movie together. I have no idea how my daughter's father found out that I had company, but he came while he was there. Uh, he kicked the door in, and that's kind of where um, the beginning of the end started for me. So I was scared in that moment, but I think in a way I 
I had been so scared so much that I, I, I wasn't going to be scared anymore. Um, now, he did kick in the door. It resulted in him eventually uh, punching me to my face until I fell back on the ground. He stumped me in my face um, until something stopped him. Could have been God, could have been a stranger, could have been something. Something stopped him, but it did result in all of the bones on the left side of my face being broken. I had an orbital blowout, so my, my eye was knocked in. Um, I was rushed to the hospital. The hospital told me they couldn't do anything for me that I needed to see a specialist. So probably about a week later, um, I got to a specialist in New Orleans where the bone had kind of started setting in my in my face but they did a surgery the surgery took about 10 hours so um this side of my face is a plate also um my i had um surgery on my eye as well when they were went when they were going in to fix all of the damage in my face i was told that i was never going to have feeling on the left side of my face again nor was i ever going to see out of my left eye um the same again. Um, I will say I did not claim that. They told me that, but I did not claim that. Um, the person that I considered to be my spiritual father, he was living in California, but he was coming down to Baton Rouge to preach at a church. I'd never gone to this church. I knew nothing about the congregation. I just knew that he was going to be there. When I walked into church, these strangers just walked up to me and they started laying hands on me and praying for me. And I will tell you probably, um, and I had an eye patch on. I couldn't really see out of this eye. It was very aggravating to even try and hold this eye. It looked like chopped liver. So I kind of just didn't want anybody to see it. Um, but probably about two weeks later, I was talking to someone that I worked with for LSU. Um, and they had had immense eye problems. And so she said, Ashira, I know it's aggravating for you to hold your eye open. You don't want anybody to see your eye. She says, but can you take the eye patch off for me? And um, at least can you do it just for a little bit in the day? She was like, there's a mechanism in your brain that if you try and use the eye, it will try to fix it. So I did. I started leaving the eye patch off, even though um, I was embarrassed about it. And probably two weeks later, um, I was sitting in my bedroom, head down. I looked up and I was like, I can see. Like I started, I started screaming. My mom ran. I was like, I can see. Like, I can see. <laughs> and so um, that's kind of my story. So that's kind of how I got from um what I consider the worst point in my life, what I consider rock bottom. And rock bottom is different for everybody. That was my rock bottom and to where I am now. So I utilized education. Um, I think education is the thing that helped me to 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 break free wow. uh, from the bondage that I was in. That is ooh, that's a lot, Ashira. You know, knowing that you were with your daughter's father, you had left him, and he came back for you once he found out that you decided to move on and literally stump you down. I mean, he could have stumped you to death, but you say you don't know it probably was God. That stopped him from doing. I think he was headed that way, but something, <laughs> something was there. He saw something that right. um, that made him run off. All of a sudden, he ran off. And you know what? It it had to be God because I never lost consciousness. Like I should have, I should have lost consciousness, um, but I didn't. I wow, didn't. wow! And I know that had to be painful. Not just, you know, just 
dealing with the physical aspect, but the emotional piece, having to go through that, knowing that you didn't look the same, you mm -hmm. couldn't see out of one eye, wasn't sure if you want to ever see again. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to have to endure. And in the two years that we weren't together, God, he dated. I would see him out with all kinds of people. Wow. Uh, it was just for him, I was not allowed to move on. Wow. He was he so it was okay for him to move on, but not for you. Yes. Oh my goodness. Look I will tell you though, though, after he did what he did, woo, after he did what he did, there was nothing he could else he could do to me. He'd done his worst, and whatever fear I had in my heart that um pertained to him, it was gone. And I made sure that he knew it. Wow. I made sure that he knew it. And when he understood that I didn't fear him anymore, I didn't have another problem. Oh, I'm sure. Cool. I'm sure. That's usually most times how it works. That's usually most times how it works. Well, Shira, man, powerful story. I want to go ahead and go to a commercial break right now. Um, but I do want to come back when we do come back and talk about how were you able to heal and get over the fact of knowing that now you have to deal you have to live, should I say, with this plate, you know, and and, you know, this disability, a slight disability, but still continue to persevere and push through life and continue to do the great things that you do. So we'll be coming right back. And I want you to share that with our audience. That is one of our sponsors for today's show, Mimosa Fest. They are having a Mimosa Fest in Austin, Texas in May of 2022. So if you're interested in knowing more about Mimosa Fest, you can go to their website, www.mimosa-fest.com. Again, www.mimosa-fest.com. All right, Ashira. So let's talk about, you know, what that journey looked like for you and how long did it take for you to get to where you are in a good space to where you know a story like that you normally hear somebody talk about a story like that and it'll bring it'll trigger and it'll bring back past emotions and sometimes it'll do something to you you know to be triggered in that form or fashion so let's talk about how you were able to heal and what that healing journey looked like how i was able to heal so First and foremost, it's just owning it. I owned it. Whatever um, was done to me is now mine. It's now mine, and I get to do what I want to do with it. So you you did these things. It's transferred over to me now. So I can either use it and allow it to destroy me, or I can use it for my good. So I'm going to show you how I'm going to make this work for my good. And that is actually where the name of my business come from, 
catalyst catalyst it is you taking the things that were meant to destroy you and you using them to empower you mm -hmm. um, into your greatness empower uh, empower you into your healing uh, and so i just decided i call it a fork in the road right you can take the fork in the road where you decide that um you tired you weary and you just can't be present no more. And that often results in using substances, drugs, alcohol, or you can decide that, okay, this has happened to me. Uh, I am stronger than this and, and I'm gonna use it. I used it. So ways that I got over it and, and things that help with my healing is volunteering at domestic violence shelters. Mm -hmm. um, feeling even though I was scared in the beginning, right? Sharing my story with people. Uh, and that is one of the tactics that's often used to help people that struggle with trauma. It is the more you share your story, the less traumatizing uh, it feels for you. It's like a scary movie. The first time you see that scary movie, it's like, ah, it's, it's horrifying, right? But the more you see that movie, the less scary that movie is. And so for me, I understood that in sharing my story, not only was I um, helping to heal others, I was helping to heal myself at the same time. And so I will say to you that that is a big part of, of how I healed. It was legitimately exposing myself, um, exposing myself to the things that had happened to me. And I felt impelled to do that. Um, the need for me to help others felt uh, stronger than the need for me to, um, to just hold on to what had gone to me, just to push it down, uh, just to try and um, forget that it happened. And so that was very instrumental in how I healed uh, from things that have happened to me in my past. I own them, like they're mine now. You might've meant them for my bad, but I'm gonna show you how I'm gonna use them for my good. Amen. And I, you know, by you saying that, you know, you own your truth, right? Cause sometimes people don't like to embrace their truth. They don't like to embrace their past, the things that they have gone through and it, what they do when they don't own their truth, they're suppressing all of the trauma that they have gone through and they don't understand. Eventually that trauma is going to come out. And sometimes you don't want that trauma to come out on the wrong people because it'll come out on your loved ones and your loved ones will be looking like, what did I do? You know, and it's really not them. Right. It affects your relationships with your family, your relationships with your husband or your lover. Um, they don't understand why I can't touch you. They don't understand um, what things trigger you. And so um, finding the help that can help you to work through um, those things that trigger you, that can help you work through the nightmares that um, you're having, that can help you work through any guilt that you have. Because I will tell you that uh, when a woman is abused or when she's raped, um, you beat yourself up about it. You are like, how did I allow myself to get caught up in this? How did I, um, how did, what could I have done different for this not to happen? So understanding that um, it's not your fault. Uh, you were a victim. Now you don't have to stay a victim. You can become victorious, but understanding that um, what happened to you was not your fault. Um, and, and that's, that's it. And that's another good key too about what you just said. What happened to you was not your fault. 
right? You mm -hmm. know, because some people be like, well, I deserve that. I, you know, you'll hear people who have been victims said, I deserved it because I shouldn't have said X, Y, and Z, or I deserved it because I shouldn't have, you know, thrown this at this person or did that. No, nobody deserves to be abused, you know? And the other piece to that is, you know, when you say you own your truth, you also have to forgive yourself. Right. Forgive yourself for what you allowed you forgive yourself for allowing you to put yourself through that because sometimes people be like well then it's all they'll put the blame game on another person but mm -hmm. sometimes we have to also own our own truth by owning our own part and role in why this abuse continued to happen mm -hmm. you know and some people don't want to share that part you know they don't want to share that part well it's all his fault or it's all her fault well what role did you play in that so what I will say about that is oftentimes it's understanding for that person, their role, the role that they're playing is basically that they are caught in what we call generational cycles or generational curses, right? So they grew up around domestic violence. Their mom and their dad fought every day and that behavior was normalized for them. And so because it was normalized for them, they are okay being in those types of relationships. I've literally had women sit in front of me and say to me that if they were not with a man that was beating them, that um, that uh, it was no good. Um, and they were and they were using p words. They were punks. They were the other p word. And it is because that behavior was normalized for them. The toxic nature of relationships was normalized for them. And so I think a lot of times women don't understand that um, they are contributing to uh, the the uh, toxicity of the relationship just based on the fact of that they are caught up in a generational cycle or a generational curse or that that behavior has been normalized right. for them. So let me ask you this, Ashira, since you brought, oh, that's a good point, since you brought that up. Um, you haven't gone through what you went through at that point in your life. Do you feel like that's where you were, you know, and didn't understand and wasn't aware? So that's why you went through what you went through. So now I will tell you, I did another podcast earlier this month. And one of the questions they asked me was, um, had I experienced domestic violence before? Or did I grow up in a home where domestic violence was prevalent? And my answer is absolutely no. I did not grow up in a home where I witnessed domestic abuse. Um, I didn't witness domestic abuse uh, in the home. It was me realizing early on, and even I don't know if this is just my instinct. I've always been an empath, and I've always listened to my intuition and my gut. Uh, I knew early on that uh, I was in this relationship. I knew that what was happening was not love, but I understood that I could not just walk out of the relationship. I had to have a plan mm -hmm. in a way. And I, I was just there just based on fear, lack of knowledge, because I had never uh, witnessed uh, domestic abuse. Right. So what do I do about this? How do I get um, how do I get out of this? So a part of it was just that I had never witnessed it before. It was a first for me. Wow. I'm glad you shared that because that's true. It can go either way. You know, you, you could have been around family where it was normalized or because you hadn't seen it that could put you in that same type situation as well so i'm glad that you brought the other piece to that also now knowing that now you are a um you are a person who has your counseling and therapy business 
is this something because of your past experiences this would push you to continue to say you know what this is why i want to help people this is why i want to do this is what's igniting the power within me you know is this what pushed you to say you know what this is how i'm ignite my power within me absolutely what pushed me into um the professional and the profession that i chose today i felt like i needed to um be a person that would validate um, a person when they came to, to me and stated that these things were going on, that I would support, that I would provide unconditional positive regard. I feel like, once again, it stems back to me being in Baton Rouge and a woman that needed help from a system that was male dominated, um, that was not giving me help. Understanding now in the role that I am that most of, a lot of abusers are judges. They are law enforcement. They are lawyers, right? And so um, back then, I was, I was just a woman that was calling about something that oftentimes that they were doing their sales. So just wanted to be a person to be able to offer uh, needed support to people and do it unconditionally, validate their feelings and their emotions and try to help them however I can. Wow. Well, I thank you for sharing that, um, you know, and doing the things that you are doing to help other individuals. And I kind of want to just rewind just back just a little bit. Uh, to ask you this question. Before you went into your profession, did you seek counseling to uh, get the help that you need? So I did it, but I will tell you that I had a program. So my undergraduate program at Norfolk State University, they made you deal with your <laughs> they, made you. they made you so all of the things that you were gonna or the tools that you were gonna utilize with clients they made you utilize them on yourself first they absolutely did um and so and also while i was in my undergrad program i volunteered at a domestic violence shelter and i think that that really lent a lot to my healing. When I was raped, I did rape crisis counseling. Um, wasn't very effective. And so just for that tool, it was just me um, sharing my story with others um, so they would know that they weren't alone, that it wasn't, uh, wasn't their fault. So um, did I have official counseling? No, but I went to an HBCU that made sure that you were going to work through all of your ish before you were going to start working with other people. And that's good. You know, I've never heard that before, um, knowing that, you know, if you're going to go through the program, you know, there are things in place that'll put you in a place where you got to deal with your own stuff and your own truth first before you go dealing with somebody else's truth. That's Absolutely. That is so powerful. So powerful. So, Ashira, what is it that, you know, knowing that you, because when you mentioned something about being an empath, you know, so you can understand, you have a very good understanding of being able to understand people. And so when you come, when you have someone that come to you and say, I've been in a domestic violence abuse relationship or marriage and you know, their, their life is just basically in pieces. You know, what are some of the things that you do to, you know, help them uh, start uncovering all of that, that stuff, you know, to, to start healing and doing the thing, doing the work, doing the things that they need to do? What are some of the things that you, you know, ha have helped your clients with? 
So the first thing I normally do is I see where they are in the process. So are you still uh, are you still with this person um, or how long has it been since you've left this person? And where do you feel like you are in life since you've uh, left this person? So if they are with the person and they indicate to me that they um, they're ready to leave, it's going to be safety planning for them. So that's going to be the first thing that we do. How can we make sure that we get you out of the house safe? What's the safe time? Get all of your documentation together, put it in a plastic bag, put it somewhere, um, put it somewhere that's safe. Um, is there a friend that will allow you to live with them where he won't know where you're at? Um, can we get you to a domestic violence shelter? But the main thing I offer them first, to be honest, is I make sure that they know that there's going to be no judgment when they talk that's to me. So that's the first thing that I offer them. And then based on where they are in their healing, uh, once we've built a therapeutic rapport and I know exactly what it is that they need, I kind of start from there. So um, is it going to be cognitive behavioral therapy? Because most women that come in to see me that's um, been um, in a, a situation of domestic violence, their self-esteem has just been beaten down into the ground. So cognitive behavior behavioral therapy, helping them to be able to identify those negative and irrational thoughts and um, helping them to replace them with healthier thoughts. So um, initially we can start with that. They've been told they're ugly, they're stupid. No one else is ever going to want you. So um, I first start off by helping them uh, to understand that uh, that that is the state of mind that they're in. And I help them to work on replacing those thoughts um, uh, that they have began to believe. And so that is where we start. Most clients, to be honest, that come and see me. Um, and I'm going to say, ooh, I almost want to say like 99.9% .9 of clients that come to see me, they have suffered with some type of trauma, whether it is sexual, whether it is physical, whether it is emotional, whether they have have um, they have been victimized by someone that has a personality disorder. Most people that come in to see me for therapy, it is um, going to be based or related to some type of trauma. Other things um, that I can utilize with clients based on how um, extensive the abuse is and how much they are affected by it is EMDR. So EMDR is eye movement um, desensitization and reprocessing. So it is a modality that concentrates on the part of the brain that has no words. So the amygdala. The amygdala is where your fight and flight happens. It is where um, you store all traumatic things that happen to you in your life. So EMDR is a modality you can utilize with clients that um, they don't even really have to come in the office and, um, and tell you a story about what has happened to them. Um, you're going to do positive mapping with them, negative mapping with them. You're going to come up with a treatment plan that is going to mostly focus on the negative uh, thoughts or connotations that they've attached to themselves. And so that's one thing that I, that I do with them. Another thing that I um, do is some trauma-focused CBT. And so I just pull parts from trauma-focused CBT, CBT. So sometimes they, that may include um, 
us doing a trauma narrative that may include us doing um, something called a chair where I'm actually uh, the person that victimized them and they're able to uh, tell me how they felt about everything that I did to them. Sometimes we write letters to the abuser. All of this though, and I'm sure that they don't understand is a way to incrementally expose them to the uh, trauma that they've experienced because once again, the um, the more you um, acknowledge it, the make the more you voice it, the more you the um, it causes you to become desensitized to it. So that is how I can talk about my story today and not just burst into tears or not. It is because um, I have told my story so much. I understood early on that when I told my story uh, that I was empowering myself and every time I told my story, it felt better. Uh, this is some great information, Ashira. I do have a question that was um, mm -hmm. in the chat and it says, is trauma bonding something you speak on? Can you speak to trauma bonding? Because a lot of times you'll have people who go into relationships and that's all they're connected to because that's all they know. So definitely uh, trauma bonding. And so trauma bonding can, it happens in relationships, but it can also uh, happen in families as well. So you, um, you find the person that you feel like has had the same life and the same background that you've had. And this is the person that you're going to uh, try and figure out life with. Well, you have two people coming together that's broken. You haven't figured out life for yourself. You haven't um, had the type of treatment that you need for yourself. And so um, and that's where it is. And you, you, you get stuck in that cycle like nobody else is going to understand me the way that this person understands me, because this is the only person that has been through something that is similar to me. And so that is another reason that you can kind of get stuck in um, in a situation of domestic violence. But once again, a lot of it is still just going to be modeling or even even trauma that you experienced growing up as a child, what has been what has been normalized for you as a child. So, yep, people people like that they will they will find each other and they will hunker down. And um, the toxicity of the uh, the relationship is tremendous. But um, one of them they're there until somebody decides that they're going to break the cycle. I can't do it anymore. Both of us both of us need help. Uh, I can't do it anymore. Wow. Thanks for speaking to that. Well, Shira, I want to go to another commercial break and then we'll be back and we'll talk more about, you know, some of the things that you're doing. Um, what, are the, what are the things you're doing in the community and some of the things that you can just share with everyone that's watching that may be going through, whether it's domestic violence, rape or any dealing with any type of mental trauma. What are some of the things that you can give them to help them uh, move forward? And we'll be right back. Hey guys, I am Rita M. Green, owner of Go Fig Co, a boutique digital marketing and project management firm. We specialize in email marketing, social media campaigns and management, website design, graphic design, email marketing, Dubsado setup, and more. Administrative tasks especially. We are here to take the hassle out of your hustle and just to get things done, period. 
So if you're in need of a, another set of hands, a second pair of eyes, or a fourth, or a fifth, or a sixth, we are here to assist you with all of your needs. Again, I'm Rita and Green, owner of Go Fit Co., and we would love to serve you, your business, and your brand. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Go Fig. Go is spelled G-E-A-U-X-F-I-G. You can also see us online at www.gofig.com. Check out what we have to say and also check out our blog where all of our articles that we post online are located. Um, plus, you can see our portfolio of completed works. We'd love for you to check those out as well. Um, if you'd like to check with me, if you'd like to connect with me personally, I am Rita M. Green on LinkedIn. I hope you have a fantastic day. Go win the day. Go for the gold. And bye-bye. Uh, And again, today's show is sponsored by Go Fig Company. You can reach out to them at www.gofig, which is G-E-A-U-X-F-I-G.com. Again, that's Go Fig Company, www.gofig, G-E-A-U-X-F-I-G.com. So, Ashira, let's talk about some of the ways that we can help the people and some of the great things that you have going on. So first off, I want to start off by saying that um, a way to help people is helping them to understand what is considered domestic violence or what is considered violence. So violence, um, violence is not just physical. It includes um, those who force others under threat of suffering or death to do what they want them to do. Uh, Domestic violence or abuse is a control tactic. It aims to break you and make you submit. So a lot of us just think that uh, domestic violence includes fists, right? It's not. Um, it's coercion. It's control. It is literally someone trying to break your will to have you to do what they want them to do. It can be words. It can be threats. Uh, so just understanding that you are caught up in a situation of domestic violence, even when you aren't being physically hit, because uh, violence, once again, is someone trying to exert their control over you to have you to submit. Uh, one of the other things I do with uh, clients when I see them is I um, try to figure out or try to help them uh, how to emerge from an abusive uh, relationship. So um, how to help them uh, switch from surviving to thriving, basically. So that is one of the things that um, I do with them. So um, helping them to challenge negative thoughts um, about their self. So get therapy. If you're struggling with uh, um, addressing negative thoughts or things that um, have been kind of beat into your psyche, get to someone who can help you counter those uh, thoughts. Um, teaching them how to love themselves again, getting in touch with themselves again, um, starting to do things that they enjoy. Because a lot of times when, when you are um, stuck in the throes of domestic violence, you're isolated. Uh, you lose yourself. You can't go and do things that you would have normally done that you enjoy because once again if um, if you're if you can get out of the house maybe you're gonna tell someone what's going on or what's happening with uh, happening with you um, the other thing is helping them to uh, reset sleep cycles a lot of times when you're uh, caught up in the throes of domestic violence you aren't you aren't sleeping a lot of times you are in that tension phase where you're just waiting for the other shooter drop you're waiting for the next 
the next action to um, to happen. And once you're gone, you that trauma, that trauma doesn't leave your body. Um, the, your body keeps the score. Your body keeps the score. So even when you leave uh, those types of situations, it is um, a recalibration of sorts um, of your entire uh, psyche and your physical uh, body. Uh, the other thing, too, is um, helping them to figure out things that they want to do that they haven't been able to do while they were in the uh, relationship. So what are your goals? Uh, what is next for you? How can we get you activated into uh, figuring out what your future is, what your future is going to be? setting goals, like um, teaching them how to set goals. When you set goals, okay, we're going to have you right out that list. You might have 30 things on there, but I'm going to need you to only focus on two or three of those at a time. And I'm going to need you to do something active towards those goals at least once a week. And, um, and when you've accomplished those two or three things, then you can move to the two or three things on your list. Because a lot of times when you are stuck in the throes of domestic violence, uh, you don't have confidence in what you do. Um, you have been told uh, you're stupid. You can't accomplish anything. You're not going to be anything, anybody without me. Right. And so I like to have people do goals in that way, because when you complete a couple of things, you get what I call the feeling of completion. When you complete things, it motivates you to uh, to go on and complete other things. Uh, and so that is a lot of what I do with them outside of just processing the trauma with them, just being a, a listening ear for them. It is helping them figure out how to to reshape their um, lives and helping them understand that um, there are stages of uh, recovery after treatment um, and which are uh, getting them stabilized. Um, helping them to understand that it's okay for them to mourn the loss of the relationship, right? A lot of people think that because you left the person and they were abusive and they were violent that you're going to leave and it's going to be hoorah. Mm -mm. You still um, record that as a loss, right? Your psyche record records that as a loss. You can still mourn the loss of that situation, even though it was not healthy for you. So um, allowing them to sit in that space and not judge them uh, about the fact of that, they feel like sometimes they miss that person that they left. It is still a process. Also helping them through um, the self-blame stage, the stage where they're blaming themselves. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I stayed so long. I can't believe I exposed my children as I can't. So helping them to understand that it's a cycle and your psyche has been beat down so much till you feel like there's nothing you can do. You've been isolated from everybody. You've pushed everybody away. And I hear this a lot because you've pushed so many people away. You feel like when you're ready to break loose that um, they're not going to be ready to receive you. But I'm going to tell you, there are people there that are waiting, just waiting for you to, to come back like the prodigal son. They're just waiting for you to say that I that I need that help. Right. Um, and then um, just letting them know that coming back from a, a situation of domestic violence, the recovery is going to take time for them. It's not going to be uh, something that you get over 
in a couple of months. Um, it may take you years to get over. It may take, take you years to get through that trauma, but making sure that you have a safe place to process that trauma, a place that's going to be encouraging, a place that's going to be um, motivating, a place that's going to be non-judgmental, um, where you know that you can come in and um, share your deepest, darkest, uh, so you can get through the, the, the baggage that you're carrying. Amen. That's a, whew, that's a lot of good information. I know I learned something new here too as well. So thank you so much for sharing that information. For those of you that are just now tuning in, you're tuning into the Dr. Yolanda Jerry show and our special guest is none other than Mrs. Shira Windsor. She is a licensed clinical social worker and she helps many, many people in her profession and in her business, Catalyst Counseling and Therapy Services, not just for victims of domestic violence, even though we talked about that, uh, but just in life period, you know, uh, no matter what it is that you're going through. So Shira, thanks so much for being on the Dr. Yolanda Jerry show. I want you to share if there's one resource that you can share or a couple of resources that you can share with someone who may be experiencing domestic violence. Uh, is there any particular hotline or anywhere that they can go to uh, get that immediate help? So there is a national domestic violence hotline. And so all you would have to do is type that in and look it up. And what it will be able to do is that it will be able to connect you with whatever resources that you have for your area. It doesn't matter where you are in this country. They're going to know where the safe spaces are for you. Good stuff. And for those of you that may need that information, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is www.thehotline.org. That is their website, www.thehotline.org. And the phone number, if you want to call them, is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that phone number is 1-800-799-7233. And also, if you are around someone and you can't pick up the phone, you can still go to their website and you can private chat with them and they will make sure that they stay connected to you. So Ashira, before we conclude our show this evening, uh, can you let everyone know some of the great things that you have going on and leave some last words of encouragement and then we'll go ahead and let everybody go. So some of the great things I have going on is, a, is of course, Catalyst Counseling and Therapy Services. Very excited. We'll have uh, a couple of new therapists on board starting in January. Uh, I try to make sure that the therapists here, they have a, a pretty good background on just about anything anyone can need uh, services with. Oh, but I got one coming up. Ooh, I'm so excited about it. He's going to touch, uh, touch on something that... Um, that I feel like a lot of people need in this area, but it's just not um, available to them. Uh, also, um, still working on <laughs> bridging the gap, y'all. We getting it together. We trying to get it together. Um, and just, uh, just being a mom and a husband, I kind of do it. Whatever anybody needs me to do, that's what I do. <laughs> being, being what you need to be for everybody that's around you that you love. Yes. <laughs> appreciate you being my friend and also being my partner uh, with Bridging the Gap Transitional Age Youth Program. So you all be on the lookout. We'll get things spun back up so that way we can make sure that this program is in place for uh, youth who are aging out of foster care system. If you are looking to connect with Ms. Shira, you can go to her website. It's www 
catalystcounselingandtherapy.com. That's C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T, counselingandtherapy.com. Or you can also contact her via email, which is Ashira, A-S-H-I-R-A dot Windsor, W-I-N-D-S-O-R at yahoo.com. All right, Ashira, any last words of encouragement, anything that you want to leave with us before we conclude our show? Uh, I just want to say that um, our grief group, we offer a free group, uh, grief group. It's called um, uh, uh, Living Your New Normal. It will start back up in February. And so we will have um, actually a doctorate student that's going to school for counseling and one of our interns that's going to school for counseling. They will be uh, managing that group. And so it will be up and running back in February. Um, and the last thing I want to say to anybody out there that is listening is that um, that you've done nothing to deserve the abuse that you are receiving, uh, that uh, love should not hurt, and make sure that when you're ready to leave that relationship that you have a plan. Don't leave without a plan. Thank you. And amen. That's right. Love should not hurt. Absolutely not. And I just want to thank you for everyone who has tuned in tonight, you know, from Paula, uh, Farr, Frank Henderson, Patty Fields. We got Christy Gilner, Darlene Thorne, Laquita Brown. Hey, Laquita. And um, everyone else that was able to tune in and share tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Dr. Yolanda Jerry Show. This concludes our domestic violence awareness series for October. But... Tune in next week because we'll be coming in with another special guest and we'll be continuing the Dr. Yolanda Jerry show. We air every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, I am Dr. Yolanda Jerry and my special guest, Ashira Windsor. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you for having me. All right. And if nobody has told you, know that I love you and God loves you. Take care. Take care.